So as we're breathing, we can also notice that there's an awareness that's aware of breath happening, aware of those bodily perceptions. So there's the perception, the breath, the movement, the air moving through the nose, movement of the belly. And then we have the awareness of that. Just the simple everyday awareness. Simple but extraordinary awareness. So if we move our attention more to the, let's say the physicality of the breathing, you know, we can stay with the sense of the body moving with it, receiving it, releasing it, sense of being nourished by it, and sense of being present in the room. So we can put our attention on the perception of breathing. Solely on the perception of the movement of the breath through the body. And then we can just gently shift our attention back to that awareness. Where the sense may be more like there's awareness and one of the experiences of that awareness is the breath. So the breath is still happening, obviously, but the place that um, we're residing in is this awareness of the breath, which is different than being wholly in to the experience itself. So now we've just stepped back into that awareness. Breath is still happening, but it's happening within the field of awareness. Yeah. So we're not making an effort here. We're just from awareness. We're just noticing the breath is still happening, but we're viewing it from this awareness. We can also then move back into the perception, allow our attention to go outward to the, again, to the physicality of the breath, you know, sensing into that direct sensation that the body's capable of experiencing um, the movement of the belly, feeling of the air moving in and out of our nose, maybe the movement of our chest, 
sensing the warmth or coolness of the breath. Sense of breathing in the room, being supplied by the air in the room, wholly within that perception again. And again, we can step back into that awareness, almost like taking a step back into ourselves um, where we're looking from awareness. So we're no longer completely absorbed in the perception, but we've moved back into that awareness um, and notice that the perception is still happening. There's still breath happening, but now it's happening with, again, within this field of awareness. So we can see that we have an experience and we have an awareness of that experience. This is, you could call it the fundamental duality. Right? Self is awareness within which perceptions arise. I can move my attention more towards the perception or I can move it back into the more global sense of awareness. It's not denying the perception, but it's bringing the attention back to that Awareness. And if we we don't make a story about it, we can or we can actually move our attention quite easily back and forth between the perception and the awareness of the perception. And we can ask if those are actually two different things. We're not subjecting either the direct perceptual experience to a concept when we're not subjecting this awareness, trying to make a concept out of it. It's just this um, fairly natural flow back and forth. Um, and it would only be the mind that says, spacious awareness is better. If we allow our attention to move more towards the object. It's not like the awareness is absent. Or if we allow it to come back to that spaciousness, it's not like the perception is absent. But it, we're just shifting, shifting the focus, shifting um, where we're looking at, where we're looking from. We're always looking from awareness our attention 
might be more outward, might be more inward. But if we allow that movement to happen, it will happen. It will continue to happen in a very sort of natural way if we're not trying to overmanage it. Okay, so that's, it's just a very simple exercise that um, maybe it's worth exploring just to feel into that sense of taking a very simple object within consciousness, in this case, breathing, and just allow the focus to rest totally in the perception and then gently come back to the awareness within which the object arises and just notice that, that movement. I wanted to uh, talk about the present moment um, tonight. I was trying to think of a title and I remembered a phrase that my um, mother used to say fairly often. Um, and it was, it was used when I was procrastinating about doing something, probably a chore. And um, uh, she would say, well, there's no time like the present as, as a way to convince me to do whatever I'm supposed to be doing at the time. But, um, but it's actually uh, a fairly interesting question. No time like the present. Um, so it brings up a couple of questions having to do with time and the present moment, etc. So we can um, see if we start looking at this concept of time. It, it feels like a real thing, right? It feels like, you know, we're born and we're moving in that direction um, where we get older and then eventually um, go downhill and die. I mean, that's the, the linearity of it. Um, but it's, it, 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 it's sort of a, it's a measurement in a sense. Um, so, you know, historically, while we still use these um, repeating things that we can all sort of agree on. And uh, so we have things like years, you know, just based on the earth um, going, you know, from let's say winter all the way around to winter again and call that a year. Um, we can do that with phases of the moon, full moon to full moon, um, or we could do it with days, right? Sunrise around to the following sunrise. So those terms are all are still used as forms of measurement of time. Right? Um, today, to be even more accurate, the physicists use the half-life of cesium-133, a radioactive atom. Okay, all of these things are totally arbitrary, right? I mean, years, uh, months, days clearly um, are relevant only to this earth. Right? Any other planet in the universe um, would wonder why this particular sequence had any, any special merit. Um, so it, we, but we assume we were so used to using this as a, a convenience of communication you know, if you want to meet somebody for lunch, you tell them, you know, on such and such a day, such and such a time, it's convenient, right? Um, so it's a useful concept. 
Um, but we, we use it so much that we believe that it has some um, reality to it. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. It's, it's just, it's a concept um, that's uh, convenient for making things happen, but um, it does it in itself that um, concept of time just doesn't have, have a reality. So we know that um, anything that's manifested into this world is impermanent. Um, you know, it comes into being and then it is from that moment on actually in a process of maybe growing for a while and then into a process of um, disintegrating. I mean, whether we're talking about the, you know, the morning dew or um, these bodies or the sun, you know, the time frame differs, but the, the movement um, is inexorable, right? Um, everything is impermanent. Everything that's manifest is subject to the law of impermanence. So this question of impermanence um, is, uh, we relate to it as time. We see the reality of this impermanence and then we impose this concept of time over the top of it and presume that therefore time has that same sense of reality, moving from here to there with some, you know, with just a linearity. And as long as we believe that what we are it, are these bodies, um, that's, that's our actual experience of it. You know, we were born, um, you know, we have a you know, limited time frame, some, you know, some unknowns there, but you know, within some parameters and that we're moving from here to there. You know, from the, so from the perspective of the body, um, it's, um, we've all been taught that, you know, time matters. You, you know, you have so many years on this planet, um, you know, before you as a body will cease to exist. I mean, that's the, that's what we've been told. Okay, but this, um, this whole movement um, from, um, you know, we have future and present and past, and we treat these um, three, you could say aspects of time as if they were sort of equal, right? Equal, equal weight, equal sense of reality, past, present, and future. Um, you know, our whole language is based on it. Verbs are based on it. Past, present, future. And um, but when we really look at it, we can see that they're not not equal at all. We have this um, imaginary future that hasn't yet come into existence, right? But we imagine it, we project our ideas about it, um, maybe our fears about it or our hopes about it uh, or our expectations about it. Um, you know, it's sort of this endless future uh, that is sort of headed our way, right? But that, that future is, I mean, we never actually experience it. The future always remains the future. Um, so all we, all we have to go on there is just our imagination, you know, or you could say even our, you know, sort of underlying fear of sense of vulnerability and attempts to control what may happen in the future. Um, 
but there, there's this sense of granting a certain level of reality to the future, uh, even though um, it hasn't it hasn't occurred and will actually never occur. But we also have the past, right? So the past is 100% subject to our memory. You know, even something that happened five minutes ago, um, we can recall it um, back into the present, right? By remembering it, calling it back up as a as a memory. But everything in our past um, is just subject to that uh, remembrance, most of which we can't remember, but you know, some key points we can. And uh, so we project this um, you know, somewhat long period of past events that we can remember, not as long as we can imagine out into the future, not anywhere near that long, but we can imagine you know, a fair bit back into the past of things that we actually experienced. So there's also things that we didn't experience, but other people did and told us about, or we read about, or we saw it on the news, or um, you know, either it happened during our lifetime to friends we knew, or maybe happened to historical figures and we read in the book. So this is um, sort of secondhand information. It's not really our experience except when we pull it up into the present moment through reading about it. So, I mean, this is all pretty obvious, right? The, the future um, only has, um, uh, we, any imagination we have in the, about the future can only happen in the present moment when we're thinking about it, right? So, um, it's the only real reality that it has just to that extent that we may be thinking about the future now, but it's really just imagination. We have no idea what will happen then as much as we plan, you know, sometimes it works out. A lot of times it doesn't. Um, and, the, and the past is only uh, to, uh, real to the extent that we remember it and we can only remember it in so we have this sort of long imagined future and fairly long remembered past. Um, and then sort of right between the two, we imagine that there's some sort of transition point, you know, where the, this future somehow passes by and becomes the past, right? So we, the way we tend to imagine it is sort of like being at a train station and um, you're watching a freight train go by through the station, it doesn't stop, it keeps going. And you're watching the freight train and you know that if, if it's going in this direction and you look um, up in the direction it's coming from, you, you say, well, that's the future. You know, it's headed this way. And then when it passes where I'm standing, that would be the present. And then when it heads out of the station that way, that will be the past. And that's sort of the way we imagine this future, present, past kind of passage, as, as if this passage was um, a discrete point, you know, where things were, um, you know, just passing by and 
going through this, this single point. But even, even from our, you know, human ability, sense of perception, um, our response time to any kind of stimuli, well, any kind of stimuli that has to go through the brain for perception, like uh, sight or sound and that we react to, it, it takes about um, two tenths of a second to even register to the point that we can begin to react to it. So, um, and if it's a reflex, somebody taps our knee in the right place, that's about a tenth of a second. So somewhere, somewhere in that range, um, the point of it is that we're always like a fraction of a second, inevitably be, um, behind whatever it is that is happening. So our, our, our perception, so there's always a bit of a lag time. So we could sort of keep that in mind if um, we're spending a lot of time and effort, you know, to really try to be in the now, um, is to recognize, well, even on the best of days, we're, we're still gonna be a fraction of a second behind that. So we can maybe relax a little bit about that one. Um, so to call this moment, even a passage makes it sound like a noun, right? It's, it's like a point where something is, you know, real headed this way and then comes through this passage and then, you know, remains real on the past side of this present moment. Um, but it, the reality of it isn't really that at all. All our entire experience of everything that ever happens to us only is in this um, amazing uh, moment, not even a moment, this now, <laughs> the verb, you know, it's always changing. But what's always changing is the content, right? So the, the awareness itself isn't changing. The awareness itself is present to notice um, that change. And that's how, that's how our entire life is experienced. Um, things arising within that field of awareness and that awareness taking note of it, being present for it, being alive for it. Um, that's it, that's the whole thing. Right. So this uh, moment of now, um, you know, that we imagine is sort of squeezed between, you know, an infinitely long future and a fairly long past um, is not that at all. It's actually the entirety of where life is lived. So we, we could say, um, you know, we could hear that and then think, well, you know, that sounds a little boring, you know, just sort of being stuck in this awareness and, uh, you know, it sounds a bit dreary actually, you know, to, you know, just be just this awareness um, and experiencing whatever happens to show up uh, within that field of awareness. But, you know, to, to think that is really to be focused on the objects um, that are arising, whatever is arising in that moment. Um, and we've all had the sense of, you know, sort of being bored with the current objects within awareness, whether it's a TV show or, 
you know, being stuck at home during a pandemic, who knows. But what we forget when, when the focus is on the object is um, we forget all about the um, amazing, um, magnificent, improbable nature of existence itself. Right, the fact that a lot awareness <laughs> um, exists, you know, that we, there's that we, I mean, it's amazing enough that the, you know, the apparent manifest world exists, but to also have the awareness of that um, functioning, you know, within these body minds where we get to experience that, you know, we, for, we forget all about the um, complete um, improbability of um, the, just the magnificence of that awareness um, arising out of nothing, right? Rising out of who knows where, out of the unknowable. And yet there is a knowing, there is a knowing that we actually experience in every moment of being present, being here, being aware. So we forget about that. We focus on the object and then decide that we're, we're bored with that. We forget about the, the total, the total um, awe-inspiring, amazing magnificence of existence. And we focus on the object. So when, when, I, when we say that um, in spirituality, there's a tendency to think, well, you know, I'll just I'll just go back to that spacious awareness and try to be there and only there. Try to remember it in the, as in the foreground all the time. That's the goal. That's what I'm going to try to do. But that also isn't quite it because uh, to do that would be to deny um, the creation, right? You know, it, it's. Um, you know, to, to go to one side of the pendulum to say, I only want to remain in spacious awareness. That's the spiritual thing to do. You know, if, if I was enlightened, that's what would happen. But that's actually, well, it's actually not true. What, what's true is our direct experience, which is, um, you know, just like we were doing in the little exercise to start out with, sometimes, you know, we settle back into the spaciousness where we are um, aware of that spaciousness, aware that we're resting in awareness. You know, the objects within awareness may be there, maybe not, but the, um, you know, we're resting in itself, you could say, resting in that sense of I amness without the concept. And other times, um, just like we did in the exercise to start out with, our attention is pulled out um, to the object, especially if it's something that we're interested in, something fascinated. You know, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's, a, a, you know, something funny happening, maybe it's a sunrise, maybe it's a, a bug crawling across a stem of grass, you know. 
and our attention is drawn out there. The, the awareness actually doesn't have a problem with that at all. It's not, the awareness doesn't say, no, no, hang on to me. You know. So either, either way, either pole of that duality um, uh, is, and needs to consider, needs to uh, remain um, sort of connected to the to the other, right? So if we're if we're totally absorbed in the world, then we're vulnerable to it. Then we're um, you know there's a sense of fear. Then there's a sense of bo the body aging, moving through time. Um, you know, so that's that's clearly um, a problem. Um, in terms of our peace of mind. But also if we're, you know, totally uh, sure that the object of the spiritual search is to just hang out into this formless awareness um, and deny the presence of the experience, that also isn't, isn't right. Um, because it's, it's not, um, we're, we're denying uh, an essential part of our experience as if they were two, right? As if we could choose between the spacious awareness and um, getting caught in the object, right? Trying to hang on to the awareness or get caught in the, ob in the object. Right? So we're, if we're trying to manage that movement, um, there will always be effort. And there will always be the sense of back and forth. I'm not doing it quite right. Um, I should, it should be more spacious. I should always feel like this. Um, but those are, those are all mental impositions onto the reality of our direct experience. And we can actually relax about it and allow that movement into form. Um, but also come back to that spacious awareness frequently. Well, we talk about that quite often to um, use just moments throughout the day uh, rather than saving it all up to a meditation period and then forgetting about it the rest of the time. Just using moments during the day just to come back to this spacious spaciousness, the sense of being here alive now. So the more we can come back to that, which does require effort, right? the more, but the more we come back to that, um, the more we um, sort of strengthen those pathways to the point where we can um, notice that it is always there, that awareness is always present. Um, all we have to do is slow down a bit and notice it. And um, over time, just that frequent noticing of the presence of awareness um, allows us to relax about it, where we're not um, feeling like we're missing it and then we've gained it and then we've lost it. When we, when we gradually learn that it is there every time we look, we, grad we gradually relax about it. And eventually it will become effortless. But um, for some time, it may be that effort is required 
uh, to come back into that spaciousness often. We were talking about um, the awareness and then the object within awareness, um, not, not being too, right? Um, so the, the object um, within awareness, you know, our, our worldly experiences, we know that, um, you know, the body can, you know, get ill, um, we can face heartache, we can, um, things happen, you know, we can get physically hurt, we can, um, you know, there's things happen uh, in, in this form, in this world. But if, if we're, um, our identity is, is firmly established in the awareness, it's not like difficult things don't happen. It's not like we get a free pass, not, actually not at all. But the, the, the perception that we have about those difficulties just feels much, much less personal. So we're able to um, work our way through them without feeling um, uh, quite so overwhelmed by them. Okay, so this, um, you know, we talked about um, objects of awareness, perceptions appearing on the screen of awareness, sort of like if you consider a, a mirror and um, you look in the mirror and then your image appears on the mirror. Um, so you could say, well, there's a mirror and then there's my image on the mirror. But um, are they really two different things? I mean, you, can you really separate one from the other? Um, you can't have the image appearing in space without the, the mirror being there, right? So they're not really separate, but at the same time, the mirror isn't affected by the image. Um, you know, let's say the um, set of the mirror, let's say we have a, a TV screen, okay? So, you know, there can be a Western uh, shoot 'em up movie on, that's playing on the TV. And when the movie's over, um, we don't have to fix the TV. Right, it's just um, the the TV itself, the screen of awareness, is actually untouched by whatever happens, and yet it's it is necessary, right? It, without the the screen on which to project the image, um, that image can't be noticed by anyone, right? So there. Um, one is essential for the other, and yet they're not different. So this tendency in spirituality is is to insist that it look like this. You know, if I if I were really enlightened, this is what it would look like. Um, is um, you know, it's just, it's just a mental concept imposed on um, our actual experience and. I, I think I can say with some confidence that for most of us, the experience is sometimes it looks like this, open, at peace, expansive, and sometimes it looks more focused and the object, more contracted, more um, object-oriented, okay? We're not holding on to the spaciousness. We're not grasping or running away from the object. 
there is a natural flow back and forth. And that is the ease. That is what the Taoists call the natural state, right? Where it's beyond effort. Some effort might be required to recognize that. And the, the effort's required just only because we've been trained from a very young age to forget all about this awareness and focus on the object. So, you know, it's not that the awareness is lost, but it's become fused with the objects, with all objects, with the world, you know, with this our perception of this body, mind, other people, the world. Um, you know, our awareness has just become totally fused with that. So we forget about it as being um, beyond harm, being free, being at peace. We forget all about that. And all our awareness is focused um, tightly on whatever object is appearing there. So we can just see that it's not, again, we're not trying to push away um, the object, we're not trying to diminish the world. You know, the world still is the um, creation of the one source, same source as the awareness. So we're not choosing awareness over form. And we can also recognize that um, there's more to it than just form. Right? So it really, it really requires um, both. And the way to that is seeing really clearly the nature of this awareness as what we are, as what we are already. Um, you know, it's not something that we attain. It's something that we um, realize is already present, already here. Um, and just to see the um, amazing significance of that awareness um, as the screen on which our entire life is lived. So this is this is why um, that's sort of fundamental. This sense of awareness. Um, that's why Jesus said, "Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven." all else will be given. In other words, you know, get this um, recognition of what we truly are firmly in place first. And um, um, the other fruits of awakening will be given, right? So the, 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 the fundamental ground is the recognition that what I am is um, this awareness, what I am is this awareness, not what I experience, but actually what I am. When we get that uh, firmly in place, not as a concept, but just as a, a full, full on recognition, um, then all else will be given. In Buddhism, they call it the right view, right? Shortened it, <laughs> right, right view. You get that one right, Everything else follows from it. Um, so this um, movement from um, this 
future, this imaginary future, um, through this present now, um, isn't really a passage at all, right? It's it's not um, it's not you know realities in out there in the future, and then it gradually comes through the present, and then it recedes in the past, which is also real. No, we have two. Uh, two conceptual uh, domains, you know, future and past and what's um, real is now, right? So they're not actually related, future and past or conceptual now is is real. It is where um, every everything happens. Everything is in this moment. So from the perspective of um, you know, this person, it looks like we're moving through time. Right? Things, things are always changing. Things are always uh, impermanent. Everything's impermanent. From the perspective of awareness, um, nothing is changing except um, this flickering on the screen of awareness. But the awareness itself is unmoved unchanging, unharmed, untainted, not subject to birth or death, but we are. The aliveness itself that's witnessing um, whatever is being created um, within that field of awareness. Creation is always happening at every moment. You know, it's always, always happening in every moment. Um, being created out of apparent, apparent nothingness, right? Do we just attribute it to other things? We attribute it to a material solid world out there, but the actual experience is not out there at all. It's always, always on this, um, this, this screen of awareness. So, and this is where every everything unfolds. I mean, that's the aliveness of it. You know, we can say, oh, it's it's just ephemeral. Yes, um, but so is a flower, <laughs> you know. So is a, a moment of tenderness. You know, really timeless things um, are ephemeral like that. We can't grasp them. We can't put them in a bottle. We can't... Um, hold on to them in that sense. Um, but we can be present for them. We can allow them to unfold, um, be available. And one of the ways that we can do that is to um, hold a remembrance um, for this amazing, extraordinary gift of awareness. Simple, but Totally, totally mysterious. And as we sense into that more and more, um, life becomes magical, really. Not not magical as, as uh, I don't know, making an elephant disappear, not magical in that sense. Um, but um, magical that this reality exists at all. I mean, compared to 
you know, that, you know, what's making an elephant disappear or walking on water or anything, right? The, the, the extraordinary nature of this existence um, is, you know, brings one to one's knees in gratitude for being allowed to um, be present for it, to participate in it, to enjoy it. And that's that's what we have an opportunity to do.